does that make a woman feel when she's the only one being blamed and you know the the persons the predators uh nothing is being done to stop them well it it hurts us women and honestly a lot of myself and my friends that went through this left the church we just couldn't take it anymore so our only option was to leave because if we I'll just use my own story as an example of a worship leader, a male worship leader in a college group I was involved in while I was in college. And um, I should separate, separate. I was in college and then I also attended a church nearby. Um, and some, a lot of the students from the college I went to would go to this church group, this college group. And he was... Um, very predatory towards the young women and he would do this cycle of attaching himself to a a, a woman and I was one of these women he did this to where he would um, do the love bombing dropping cycle do you know about the love bombing cycle and the abuse cycle of an abuser (laughs) so he would like attach himself like to me for example and he would present himself as oh I've He would present himself as a victim and then he would make me feel bad for him and then he would tell me but you're different you're special and like i feel like i can trust you but i can't trust all these other girls and then he got me attached to him and then he just dropped me and and um while there was nothing physical that happened there was definitely an emotional attachment and he made me feel really special and in a way, I consider it a gift that he ended up just dropping me because who knows what would have happened if the relationship would have progressed. But he did this to multiple women in our college group. And so when I went to a leader and told them what happened, I was told that I just had a bad attitude, that, um, let's see, what else was I told? It's been uh, several years, but that I was... Um, I just needed to forgive him and um and uh, you know things like that i'm sorry i'm missing some details right now but um but then he did this to other girls and so but he was still able to be a worship leader but it was our fault it was our fault we got too close to him we shouldn't have got too close to him but he was so manipulative and i was so naive about everything back then I I didn't know what happened it took me years to process that so that's a scenario of what uh, an example of what men were able to get away with Welcome to the Chuta Heals podcast. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we have a special guest. She is known as Radiant Style, and I met her on TikTok. And it is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you so much. Is this your first time being on the podcast? This is my first time being on a podcast. Well, yeah. I hope uh, I hope you're excited. I'm excited, and it's so happy to have you on this platform. And as I tell 
not only my guests, but the audience. The reason for this podcast is to give a platform where people can share their truth as well as their own healing journey. And many times it comes from religious backgrounds or it comes from several other backgrounds. So thank you for having that openness to coming on this show. So I, I met you first through TikTok and I was watching some of your videos talking about cults. And mm -hmm. since I also have a cult background, you know, we kind of connected. So I would like to ask you just to uh, get this started. If you can give us a little bit of a background of that group that you were in, which you've mentioned on TikTok, can you give us a bit of a background about that group and also the name of the group, if you would like to share? Yes. So I will give a name of what that denomination is because it's a nationally known denomination and to talk about the church specifically would reveal my location and I really don't want to do that so but it is the four square denomination and it has been around for about a hundred years and it is kind of like a cross between a baptist church and a really highly charismatic church it's somewhere in the middle where a lot of the Baptist denomination does not believe in like the gifts of the spirit, for example, whereas our church did, but there was still a lot of control about our spirituality and how we could function in our spirituality. But we also rejected a lot of the highly spiritual charismatic church movements. Okay. So we're just kind of a happy medium somewhere in there. And I do want to say that I believe it is a cult, but this is just my opinion that most, if not all church movements and even some political movements are some form of a cult. And I did not realize that the way I grew up in the church I grew up in was a cult because it was so different than the cults I learned about, for example, uh, David Koresh and his cult. Mm -hmm. Even the really conservative branches of Mormonism and those cults, for example, were so different than my experience. So I thought that the church I grew up in was actually the right church. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry, I have to laugh at that now, but uh, the right way of doing things. And we're not a cult. All those other people are cults. We have it figured out and they don't because we have the correct understanding of the scriptures and we do what our pastor says, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> And were you, were you born into this group or this, is it something that, you know, when you became a teenager or a young adult, you decided, Hmm, I, I want to join them. What was your membership like? Well, I was born into it. One of my earliest memories is wearing the really slippery dress shoes and a little dress. And my parents had to help me walk into church because I could not walk in those shoes without their help. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah. growing up in this group, um, how did, how can you say it impacted your family life at home, your domestic life, or did it have no impact at all? Well, I grew up in a home with domestic violence and the reason why I hold the church I grew up in partially responsible is because the church focused on four main things. And um, the main thing was listening to the pastor teach. He was a quote, good teacher. 
and we did everything he said. And there was a massive obsession with purity culture. Like that was what mattered. And there was um, a lot of anti, um, can I use this word, P-O-R-N, pornography, mm-hmm. a lot of those teachings in the church, and as well as, um, you know, forms of sexual pleasure that often go along with that. There was a lot of anti-teachings about that. And so that was the main focus. And so my parents really globbed onto that. So on the one hand, they were really severely harming my, my brother, excuse me, my brother and I in mental and physical ways, but at the same time, we had to be sexually pure. And that was what made us godly. And that was what was important. Whereas what it really meant to be a true moral person was completely neglected. So, so can you help me to understand what was the purity culture like in this movement? I know they, they talked a lot, a lot about, you know, against pornography and you know all all these pleasures but um for someone who i didn't really grow up in that culture i hear this word all the time especially on social media tiktokers and instagrammers uh purity culture uh can you describe that for listeners who may not know exactly what that what that's all about the main thing is no sex before marriage Absolutely not. That is a big no-no. If you do that, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. The other thing is it created a lot of control around how youth dated. And the other aspect of purity culture, which ties into it, is modesty culture. And so women were required to cover up because we were told that men were just had no control with their lust issues. And if we weren't dressed appropriately, we were stumbling blocks to them and that we were the problem. And a lot, oftentimes the women were responsible for man's sexuality. So even in, if in a dating relationship, if the man wanted to go further than the woman wanted to, she w- it was up to her to put a stop to it. The man didn't have to do anything, but just, I guess, be his lustful self. And, um, and that was taught to us starting in like an elementary school age. So I, I'll just use myself an example. I was raised with this from the time I was very young. And I look back on that and I go, that is so psychologically messed up to, have the pastor from the pulpit and then all his little leaders that were teaching the youth all of this sexual purity stuff and anti-masturbation stuff to kids and i i just think that that is so wrong and so highly inappropriate and even predatory to teach children this stuff so do you do you think that the way that they taught that they focus, let's say, that they focus so much on purity, um, do you think that they use it as a way to kind of beat down on the women and make them feel shameful for for their bodies? Yes, absolutely. And I to be honest, I'm still recovering from that to this day. I don't know if I'll ever fully recover from that brainwashing. Cause like, 
I mean, I'm I still identify as Christian Catholic, and I'm still on. I mean, we've spoken. I'm still on my own journey, discovering mm-hmm. and searching. Um, but it's funny because you know, as Christians, isn't it that God created the human body, and that the human body is supposed to be something beautiful? Um, but then you're hearing, you know, all these not just in your group, but in several groups, kind of looking at the body as something to be ashamed of. Uh, yes. Do you do you think that that concept of shame was directed more towards the women, and that the the males, the boys, the guys, they got a pass for their lustful ways? Oh, absolutely, yes. And I will say the way it was, at least in in my church, was that the control was mainly over the women and it was up to the men in a way to kind of enforce the sexual purity. Like they were in charge of it. They were in control of it. And I I know it sounds kind of contradictory to what I said earlier, that it was mainly up to the women, women to control a men's lust issues. But at the same time, they were the authority and were telling us what to do. Does that make sense? So you're expected to dress ultra modest because we were talking mm-hmm. about also that modesty uh, culture, mm-hmm. but but at the same time, the guy has kind of like a control over your body in, in a relationship. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And so, or, or even male leaders in the church, for example, could say, well, you're not dressed right. Or you're to the women, you're not behaving right. Or you had sex with your boyfriend and it's your fault. You're the problem. While the men were never held accountable. And I I would always think like, but the man participated in this too. It wasn't just the woman. It takes two people to do the act. Um, so so here here's a problem that I hear a lot from other religious movements, even within the Catholic Church, and now from your group, is that sadly the women, you know, they get, let's say, shamed, humiliated, and yeah. then it seems like for the guys, it's you know n- nothing nothing is being said or you know it's it's like you you totally look past it um mm-hmm. how how does that make a woman feel when she's the only one being blamed and you know the the persons the predators uh nothing is being done to stop them well it it hurts us women and honestly a lot of myself and my friends that went through this left the church we just couldn't take it anymore so our only option was to leave because if we i'll just use my own story as an example of a worship leader a male worship leader in a college group i was involved in while i was in college and um I should separate, separate. I was in college and then I also attended a church nearby. Um, and some, a lot of the students from the college I went to would go to this church group, this college group. And he was um, very predatory towards the young women. And he would do this cycle of attaching himself to a, a, a woman. And I was one of these women he did this to, where he would um, do the love bombing dropping cycle do you know about the love bombing cycle and the abuse cycle of an abuser mm-hmm. so he would like attach himself like to me for example and he would present himself as oh i've he would present himself as a victim and then he would make me feel bad for him 
And then he would tell me, but you're different. You're special. And like, I feel like I can trust you, but I can't trust all these other girls. And then he got me attached to him. And then he just dropped me. And, and, um, while there was nothing physical that happened, there was definitely an emotional attachment and he made me feel really special. And in a way I consider it a gift that he ended up just dropping me because who knows what would have happened if the relationship would have progressed, but he did this to multiple women in our college group. And so when I went to a leader and told them what happened, I was told that I just had a bad attitude that, um, let's see, what else was I told? It's been, uh, several years, but that I was, um, I just needed to forgive him and, um, and, uh, you know, things like that. I'm sorry. I'm missing some details right now, but, um, but then he did this to other girls. And so, but he was still able to be a worship leader, Mm -hmm. but it was our fault. It was our fault. We got too close to him. We shouldn't have got too close to him, but he was so manipulative and I was so, naive about everything back then I I didn't know what happened it took me years to process that so that's a scenario of what uh, an example of what men were able to get away with in this church do you it think was that, somehow my fault. Do, do you think that the church um uh, I don't want to say enables but do you think that it teaches the the young men the the young you know the boys to grow up seeing the women more as objects rather than to seeing the beauty of each individual person. Yes, I do. Absolutely. And honestly, it came from the top down because the main head pastor was the, the man that taught all this stuff. And so he wrote, he wrote a book on, anti-masturbation teachings and anti-pornography and then he um and so that was his focus and you have to be sexually pure right and but at the same time i know women fortunately it was grown women thank god for that mm-hmm. that he would leer at he would look at them sexually he would ah uh, yeah. so, so as he's writing these books mm-hmm. he's still doing his own hanky panky or he's trying to yes. do his own hanky panky on the side uh-huh. so by doing this he's trying to look clean yep exactly but even with this purity culture and you know going against masturbation and pornography did he have a do you think their way of viewing the body was mature spiritually or you think that it was just covering up for their own Uh, shortcomings it was definitely a cover-up for their own shortcomings and no they did not have a healthy understanding of our bodies and especially how they function in a sexual manner so even as a young child you're already being taught that you need to be uh, mindful that you're not causing your the brothers or the guys in the in the in the cult the group to be sinning so that's already on you that that burden is already on you from like as a teenager or even younger are they already giving you that burden if my memory served me right it became more prevalent in um the sixth 
to eighth grade youth group time. Before that, I remember the pastor talking about his porn addiction. <laughs> what? Goodness. Like who would take their kid to a church like that? I mean, <laughs> he was talking about his addiction to little children or is this already to well, adults? I think it was, well, actually, that's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Um, it was just pornography in a general sense. But what I know about pornography today is sometimes it's not, it's not always age appropriate. So who knows? Okay. I will say as far as the women that he was inappropriate with, it was grown women. I'm not trying to minimize it, but mm -hmm. in that way, I, I'm glad at least for him, I will say there have been no minors that have come forward talking about inappropriate conduct. Okay. So That's now we're not same for other leaders in the church though. So. so so now we're getting into something that it's also very important because you mentioned pastor and other leaders. Uh, can you explain to us what is the role of the leader or the pastor and maybe help us to understand a bit of the hierarchy in this in this group? The role of the head pastor, the main one I've talked about. Well, or I don't all, all of them, I guess, so we, we can understand, you know, who's like, is, is there like a, is there like a, a bishop or is there like a, an elder brother? I, I have no idea. So it would be nice to learn something. So here's how it works in a lot of evangelical churches. There is what's called a head pastor. And so he is the one that is the leader of the church. He's the one that tells all the other leaders in the church what they are to do as well as the congregation. And he is also the one that does the majority of the teachings every weekend. Okay. Yeah. And so, especially in, in my church, what he said goes, you did not question him. You did not present a different idea or a different way of looking at things. If a person did that, he would mentally attack them and abuse them and tell them, oh, you're stupid. You're wrong. You're, that's a dumb idea. And those yeah, words so are, those are, that's painful to hear. You're dumb. You're stupid. Yeah. I know. Um, he never, I never got to know him that personally, but I knew people that knew him personally in leadership. And they told me that these are the type of things he would say and say a staff meeting, for example, like he did not want to hear another way of looking at things at all. The only time he ever maybe would listen to a different perspective is if it was one of the denominational leaders that oversaw the denomination we were in. Mm. So it was very much so a hierarchy. And did women have any roles in anything or were they just expected to be like housewives or like you know maids well i think the women were expected to be maids there were women in leadership but oftentimes they could be um a on the worship team for example but they could not be a worship coordinator or be in charge of the worship team as a whole that was a man's job um 
there were pastors' wives that were honored as being pastors' wives, and they could coordinate uh, social gatherings. They could um, coordinate the children's ministries and what went on there. But there were no female senior pastors at all. Didn't happen. Okay. So, wow. Um, so I'm learning so much about, you know, how, how this how this works, how it runs. And I'm kind of curious talking about the leadership. Um, did they? I'm I'm already I'm already hearing that they at sometimes you know abuse their power. But can you give us some examples of how they used their authority uh, in a corrupted way? So the thing that I wanted to say that's coming to mind right now is something that I was taught by a pastor that was also a teacher in the Bible college I went to. And he was a leader in a sister church of this main church. Cause I went to a mega church and then there were all these smaller churches in the area that were for people who couldn't drive a long ways to get to the church, but they were still under the control of this pastor and the denomination. And so one of the things that I heard this pastor say, and I believe he was repeating it from the higher ups, was that submission to your leaders is important and submission is only tested when you disagree. So if you disagree with your pastor, the only way to know you are truly submitting to him is if you disagree and you choose to let your opinion go and go along with what they're doing what you just said about dismissing your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm now I'm curious, was that also that mentality of you need to shut up and, and kind of fall in line. Was that also reflected at home, you know, with the family, you know, hearing that kind of uh, preaching, was that reflected a lot at home? That is a really excellent question. And yes, I would absolutely say that is true. My parents were the kind of people where I had to go along with what they said, you know, and partly there would be terrible, terrible ramifications if I didn't, but yeah, there was a lot of control in that way. And again, back to the purity culture thing, it was all about that, that was in the church and so if we question purity culture, we had to go along with it. We couldn't question it. We couldn't disagree with it. We couldn't think maybe there was a different way to view human sexuality. So even as a young age at the church, you're hearing from these pastors that you as a woman are the cause for someone else to sin. So you're you're caught, you're doing a double sin. You're sinning and you're making him to sin. So you're doing a double sin. Uh, you're bad uh, sexually. Your body is impure. Uh, you have to be covered at, at all times. And that home was it similar? That purity culture, or that uh, I don't, I don't want to call it purity culture. I, I prefer. I think it's, it's more appropriate for me personally. It's more of a shaming culture. Uh, do you feel that you are more shamed uh, at home as well? With yes. that. Yes, that was absolutely ingrained into me. And to use your words, the sexual shaming culture of you have to do it this, you have to be sexually pure. There is no other way 
of living. It's very sad, isn't it? It is sad. It is completely sad. And then in my experience, if I can move on to my home life. So on the one hand, I have this trauma of having a completely shameful and I believe I'm just going to say it's wrong way of viewing human sexuality. And at the same time, being abused by my parents, the people who should love me. So the mental confusion that that put in me and the level of shame and fear that I had for so long because of growing up in that environment, um, it really, it was, it's, was quite damaging. What happened in me um, was as I started to mature and come into my own, and I want to add in that is that I believe I was being guided by God's spirit in this. This is why I have not deconstructed my relationship with Jesus or the divine or whatever you want to call it. It was like, I've always just had this unusually strong connection to God's spirit. And I believe it was because of that, that I was able to just have these awakening moments, if that makes sense, where when I, sometime when I was a teenager, I just started seeing a lot of hypocrisy in the church I was in. I was still in this church. I went to this church my whole life and I started seeing a lot of the flaws in my family, which I think can be kind of common for a lot of young people, like teenagers into that time when we start creating our own thoughts and opinions about things. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was thinking, I just kept having this thought and I believe it was God. I really do. I don't know how else I would realize this is that. So I'm supposed to be sexually pure, but it's okay to verbally abuse people. It's okay to hit people. It's okay to lie. It's okay to do all these other things as long as I'm being sexually pure. And I said, this makes no sense to me at all. And I started to think about what does it look like to actually treat someone with kindness? And what does it look like to actually be a moral person? And I thought, well, morality to me is living in a way where we're not hurting each other. Because when, when we live with morals and we have the awareness that we don't want to harm others. We aren't going to attack people, hit them, verbally assault them. We're not going to steal from them. We're not going to lie. We're going to be honest people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was like this sense of morality just started growing in me. And I started to deconstruct sexual purity. And I started questioning it. And I thought, I have no one to talk to about this. You know, I'm uh, going to be an adult in a couple years. I, I have these thoughts and I guess I need to keep them to myself because as I mentioned before, if I ask anybody in my church about it, or even my parents about it, I'm going to be shut down and told I'm wrong or that I'm sinning for questioning this. And, and so I just felt very isolated in that for a very long time. Yeah. It's very, uh, 
I, I didn't expect our conversation to really go so much towards the, the purity culture, but then now we're starting to get into the morality. And then you mentioned about, you noticed that there was a lack of kindness and that the only way for you to, to get past is if you're pure, spiritually pure or, you know, bodily pure, then, then that's okay. But, you know, if you're, if you're being unkind, if you're being harsh, um, they're not going to really care about that. No. Growing yeah. up, growing up with that mindset, with that vision of, uh, of looking at sexuality as something evil, perhaps even satanic, uh, as a young woman being trained with that, did it perhaps make you or maybe the other women look for partners who were abusive or, you know, because I mean, you're being trained since, you know, a child to be submissive. And I'm just kind of curious, uh, how was the dating life for you or, and maybe for the other women, were they healthy? Uh, no, I, I ended up in some very, um, dysfunctional, if I can use that word, if that makes sense to people, if you know what dysfunction is relationships as a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, there were boys that were controlling. And the weird thing is, as far as the physical part of a relationship was, I didn't know how to have boundaries in that. Mm -hmm. I, I had no clue. And I thought if purity culture is so great, how do I not know I didn't know what consent was, for example, I had no clue. And so if we don't know what consent is, how do we know, and we don't know our own limitations or what matters to us in a relationship, how do we know how to go about that relationship? I had no clue. So I was in relationships where honestly, the, the physical boundaries went further than I wanted it to, or what I was comfortable with. And I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know how to say no. I just had it in my mind that I'm supposed to be sexually pure. But how does that work when the relationship is going somewhere physically? I don't want it to see. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that purity, just being told, wait until you're married to have sex and be sexually pure does not give us a language to advocate for ourselves. And so that language was lacking in me as a young person. But you didn't have the tools, the knowledge to say, no, I'm not comfortable with this yeah. or to, you know, put those boundaries. And I'm, I'm just, you know, thankful for, for you for, for sharing about such a, a hot topic. Thank you. Cause the, who, who I'm wired to be, I, I am a serial monogamous. I'll be this way forever. I've been, thankfully I married a really good man. 17 and a half years ago. <laughs> and, um, that's been going well, but I, I will say that I was, I was young when we, when we got married and I will, there were for my husband and I both, both being indoctrinated by purity culture, that there are a lot of things that we had to relearn in our physical relationship. And I'm thankful that we have, and that we've, just been able to just have understanding and grace for each other in it and grow and learn together. 
but I will say that our story is an exception. It is not the norm. And back to what you asked earlier, many people, especially women end up in abusive relationships because they are taught to submit. They're taught that what a man does is their responsibility and they need to go with what along with what the man says and that it creates um a foundation for dysfunctional and abusive relationships so you know we started off with the pastors how they abuse your authority and like you mentioned one of the quotes or one of the sayings was even if you don't agree you still have to follow what I say because I'm saying it. And then yes. we're talking about how in the family, that's also being, uh, I guess, recycled and that's being regurgitated and also the shaming at home. Now I'm kind of curious because you did mention that you had a bit of a, an awakening with the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, before that awakening, what was your view of Jesus, or if if I may rephrase, how did the cult present Jesus to you at that time? And do you still view Jesus in that same, with that same perspective as you did before in the cult? Well, that is an excellent question. So the cult I grew up in did not actually focus a lot on Jesus. It was more about that God is the white male father figure that is how god was presented and talked about and there was talk about if you've been through trauma in your childhood you can often project that onto god and then you can view god as being a this angry abuser and that's not who god is and so i actually thought that was actually pretty good you know for a conservative evangelical church to teach that (laughs) but it's still definitely did not represent uh, God's nature and who God is. And again, I keep going back to the sexual shaming. It was all wrapped up in that, that God sees everything you do. And if you, you know, hook up with your boyfriend one night, God's going to see it and is going to be unhappy with you. So those were the two main teachings about God and how God was presented. Um, But as I had this awakening, it was like, I started to just learn about, I guess, just divinely or supernaturally. I began to see God's spirit as, or Jesus as someone who is always with me. I could be like the worst person one day. And Jesus was always with me. And uh, the the decisions I made that weren't good, Jesus did confront me about it and said, you, you are better than this. But the funny thing is Jesus never confronted me about my sexuality. It was other things. It was when I was mean to someone or um, when I was rude or when I was overly judgmental towards someone else. Those were the things that It was like, Jesus was on me about like, no, this is not how I want you to be. And it was like, I just felt this overwhelming sense of love and acceptance and unconditional love and compassion. And 
I just realized that God's spirit, God's nature is loving and compassionate and knows me deeply and loves me anyways. And so it was in that um, experience of knowing Jesus that drew me in and helped me to be who I am. Because who wouldn't want, I mean, at least for me, I want to emulate kindness and love and compassion and empathy and acceptance. Yeah. But that is not who Jesus is represented in church at all. So the way Jesus was represented in the church was focused primarily on your sexuality. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But what I'm hearing is that during your your awakening, that's when that's when you started diving into how can I be more of a good person? How can I be a moral person? Yes. But that wasn't being taught in the church to be a no. good person. Just it was just sexuality and just obey. Just those two pillars, pretty much. Yes. 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 Absolutely. And yeah, so then here I am like having this experience and feeling completely isolated. And, and, um, so I really kept a lot of this to myself for years, um, because I, I would, when I would try to talk about it, it, it's like people just wouldn't understand, or people would tell me, oh, you're just not understanding the Bible properly or no, um, actually, if you're not sexually pure, then there are these certain consequences and things that'll happen. And basically you'll, you won't have a whole heart anymore. And, and, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought for a second. (laughs) Um, and, um, you'll end up being an incomplete person. And it was always back to this sexuality thing and I kept saying but doesn't it matter how we treat each other and can't that even come into play in a sexual relationship we have with someone like shouldn't it matter that our intent is to show love and kindness towards people and I said I would call people out I would say well this person is not manifesting the love of Christ right now because they're being rude they're taking their anger out on people they're being not, they aren't being honest. They aren't taking responsibility for their actions. But then I was told I was the problem for calling that out. That's what cults do. They like to gaslight you and make you feel like you're yeah. like, you're the problem. Ah, so let's now start talking about that healing journey or just, no, just that journey. Uh, you were in this group for, how many years before you were able to step away from them? Oh dear. Let's see. Probably 20. Cause it was when I graduated Bible college that my husband and I, cause we were married at that point started to disconnect. Um, and so that's when I was tw- 22. So basically 22 years in this cult. And how did your family take that work? Well, they didn't really think a whole lot of it at the time because 
my husband and I started attending another church in another denomination okay. that we thought for us, the, the funny thing is the way we grew up was so like controlled and conservative <laughs> that we felt actually somewhat free and liberated when we joined this other denomination. So because we just switched churches, basically, my my family thought we were okay. Oh, because you were still going to a church at least. Yeah, we were at least still going to a church. So yeah. it w- it wasn't like, you know, I'm... It wasn't like other cults where they shame you. They're like, we never want to see you again. You're dead to us. It wasn't like that. It was for some individuals in the church. Um, our relationships have fizzled out. Um, and we were viewed as being the weird. We were definitely viewed as being weird because we joined this other church movement. And see, like, like I mentioned early on, the church I grew up in thought they had the right way of doing things. And so this other church that we joined later operated so differently that this church thought they were weird and they're, they weren't doing things by the Bible and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> so we did get some of that from people. We definitely did get comments and we would get weird looks from people. And, and so there was some of that. Yeah. They, really didn't think too much of it at that time well actually i'm sorry years later they did and they started criticizing criticizing the church movement we were were part of but initially they didn't say anything it's kind of like they kept their opinions to themselves for a while and now that you've been out for and you mentioned it on tiktok i think it's been like eight years no 12 years perhaps yeah, 14 years since I left that church. And then it's been, I think, three years since my husband and I stopped going to church completely. Okay. So I'm I'm kind of curious, how was your journey finding yourself, finding who you were in this life, in this world, after leaving this movement, which you've been a part of? for so many years was it easy or was it more of a struggle oh no it's absolutely more of a struggle because for one when we're growing up in a church the vast majority of my social relationships friends and connections were that church and then the bible college that i went to and so a lot of those relationships fizzled out i still have some of those relationships to this day but those are the people who left as well or deconstructed to some degree themselves. And also the, the social connections. Um, I had connections to do things that I don't have anymore. Like I got, I would, I got invited on occasion to do public speaking, which I don't have those connections anymore to do that. I had connections to do, uh, missions, for example. And while my view of missions has changed through the years, I still do enjoy it. I still enjoy going to other countries and connecting with other cultures. And so I don't have those connections anymore. And so, yeah, it's hard um, because there's a huge void in me that. I had all these connections. I don't have these connections anymore. I don't have a lot of these friendships anymore. 
um, I, a lot, I, all these people I thought were friends, I guess they weren't my friends because we don't talk anymore. Um, so there's a, for me, it was like grieving because being involved in a church isn't all bad. There are good things about it too. And so we, we have to grieve that. Um, and yeah. so were there any things, activities that you've done now that you you have lost those connections to be able to do this uh, public speaking and missions, have you used your talents um, besides TikTok uh, to reach out to other people and other cultures or to do any traveling? I have been able to do a little bit of uh, just traveling um, just on my own, just with... Um, actually family connections as i mentioned to you last time i went to the philippines so i've been able mm -hmm. to do that i love that and also most of my dad's family is italian so i went to italy four years ago five years ago and that was a very divine experience going to italy and um so i will say as a word of encouragement to people who have left the church like i have and lost those connections you can still do what you believe you're made to do. It's just going to look different. There's going to be no church endorsement and um, official doing ministry or missions work, for example. But even though I went with one of my Italian cousins to Italy, it was it was just an incredible time of just really seeing God's love and connecting through connecting with people with God's love, and it was just beautiful and amazing and. So it can happen. It's just, you're on your own doing it, basically. So I, I'm cheering you on as you go on your journey and you're doing your TikToks and, you know, you're doing, you're doing your thing. Um, kind of like to have like the last questions to start wrapping this up. Okay. Uh, what would you say is your relationship with God or the divine now? Does that exist or are you an atheist or how's how's that going i am not an atheist i have had way too many spiritual experiences to be an atheist i would be a terrible atheist however i am a christian universalist so what that means is i don't believe in hell or eternal conscious torment and i believe that everybody has the divine spirit god's spirit and but i do not believe that um, that people have to acknowledge it the way I do, or the, maybe the way you do like for atheists, for example, I love atheists, by the way, mm -hmm. I have no issue with them. <laughs> we may disagree about the existence of God, but I do love atheists. And so for like an atheist, for example, I say, um, I believe and have a relationship with God's spirit, but you may believe in morality and unconditional love. And I am totally fine with that. What words of advice would you give to someone who is struggling with leaving a high control group or a cult? Okay, so if you're in a high control religion, leave, just get out and and let it go. And honestly, if you, your relationships start fizzling out, just let it go and grieve it if you need to. But the other thing to do is to 
establish relationships and friendships outside the church. Find people that you have something in common with. Um, maybe you have a similar moral compass to someone that you've met. Connect with that person. Get to know them. And when you get to know someone as just a friend, someone that you can do things with, someone that you can have a mutual love and respect for, that relationship is generally going to last at least longer than a lot of church relationships do. And two, it's going to be very healing for you. The other thing is if you are someone who still believes in God, still wants a relationship with God, ask God maybe God, what God's perspective is, or God, what do you, how do you see me? What do you think about me? And, and also not only ask God what God's perspective is, but share with God what your perspective is or what your opinion is, because something that um, I, I learned as I went through my deconstruction journey was that God is okay with me having opinions. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) so I was like it's so like basic I was like really God like I can have a perspective on this and it's okay and you're okay with me having this opinion about this wow okay like that's really freeing and good to know and because we're not meant to be controlled we're not to be meant to be robots we're supposed to be free and free people we can think for ourselves we can have opinions as long as it's something that isn't harming other harming people. And so that was like a big like aha moment realizing that. And as I said before, if you don't believe in God, then what does that look like in the context of unconditional love? Um and the other thing I want to say in that is that the main thing I've deconstructed besides the religion, the cults I grew up in is the Bible. I do not believe the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. I see the Bible as a work of literature, which God can speak to me through similar to when I read a book or watch a movie or listen to music. I believe that God can speak to us through all of these Uh, forms of media i do not believe that the bible is this it needs to be held higher than even our personal relationship with god does that make sense oh it does make sense yeah (laughs) um so my other piece of advice is that when you are deconstructing all, all the religion and the bible trust your relationship with god and what god is teaching you even if it seems to contradict the Bible, because one of the lies that these cults teach is that what God, how God is and who God is and how God teaches us is not going to contradict the Bible, but I found that it does. So <laughs> I guess just, you need to learn to, to just trust. You well, know. It, it, it is going to, for whoever leaves a group or whatever movement it's going to be a journey. That's all. I mean, it, it is a journey. And you now hearing your story, it's taken, you know, over a decade and, you know, it still is, but that's, that's the thing about life. We're all on a journey and all we can do is, you know, give our best and, you know, watching your TikToks and, you know, hearing you speak today, 
you really get that vibe, you know, really, you know, from you of radiating a style of uh, true love, not just that love of, oh, um, purity culture, but a more genuine and a fuller love, which isn't so shameful. And you're, you're out there on that TikTok, you know, speaking up and it's, it's what caught my eye and, you know, audience listeners may be wondering also, hmm, how can I follow uh, Radiant Style or does she have any business or does she have anything? Um, so if if you have any handles that you would like to share, um, would you like to share it now? Yes. So, of course, Radiant Style on TikTok, as you've mentioned, uh, Radiant Style here on YouTube but I'm not currently uploading videos and, but I might upload long form content later. Um, and then also on Instagram, which is C underscore radiant underscore style. And my Instagram link is linked, um, in some of my TikTok videos. Excellent. So I think that covers everything, unless there's anything you would like to add just to conclude this. Well, the, only thing I want to add to conclude it is um, just real briefly um, that healthy, I am a sex positive Christian now. <laughs> so I have been able to heal and recover to that degree. And I do um, advocate for consent. I believe that's important. I advocate for age appropriate sexual teachings and sexual education um, and that if you're dating and you know someone and you've consented to a sexual relationship, God's not going to send you to hell for it. So I just wanted to throw that out there that that's been the truth. I believe now in my healing journey from coming out of sexual shame. So. Well, thank you so much, uh, Radiant Style, for sharing your truth and your journey of healing. And for the audience, thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez, and I've been here with you all, uh, joined by Radiant Style. Have an amazing day. Peace out, y'all.